Is it working? Yes, amen. It is working. We uh, started last night and we talked a little about uh, having a personal relationship with God through prayer and study of the word. And we talked today a little about serving and how to do it and why to do it. If you missed last night or in the morning, you need to repent (laughs) and sin no more. But you are forgiven. You just need to get the recording so you don't miss it because it is for your own benefit. Okay? Now, we'll continue. And today I'm going to go into a little different subject that I would say we pretend or think that we understand it, but practically most of our church members struggle with it. Basically, show me how many of you have acquired righteousness. Righteousness. Oh, we have... Okay. Show me how many of you desire righteousness. Okay. So, we struggle a little. Either we don't have it, or we don't understand it, or something is wrong. I'm going to start with a story. When I was uh, a kid, I had too many ideas. My head was all the time full with ideas. Always. Before somebody had a problem, I had a thousand ideas. Before there was any incident, I had a million ideas. My head was all the time with ideas. And too many ideas. For instance, we had a youth meeting at the church. And it was Sunday night from 7 to 8. But it was kind of around 8 o'clock, it was fall, it was a little dark. And the pastor talked about spiritualism. Don't go there, Satan is trying to attack you. Don't watch Harry Potter, don't read this type of things on the internet, don't go to this type of movies, don't try to go where satanic things happen, don't get involved in witchcraft, you are on dangerous ground. And he told them a few stories. I got an idea. In fact, I got about five ideas, but I could not implement all five, so I did only one. I pretended that I have to go to the bathroom. I went outside, and there were some workers that during the week, they were remodeling the church. So I got one two-by-four, and then I got another two-by-four. I cut it in two, and I put two hands to the main two-by-four, and then I got another two-by-four. I put two legs. Do you follow me? I started to build a scarecrow, or however you call it. Cross scare, how do you call that thing that you put in the garden to scare the birds? Scarecrow. And I built one, and then I dressed in the workers' uh, work clothes, and then I put a hat, and then I put a screw on the two-by-four behind the neck, and then I put a fishing line around the screw, and over the path that would go into the church, there was an old tree. I put the fishing line over a branch and I got the other end and I went into the garage, the pastor garage, and I pulled the scarecrow in the tree. 
And I was waiting patiently. When the young people came from the church, it was dark. You're all walking and talking. You know we got to stay away from Satan. When they got under the tree, I dropped the scarecrow. You know? And I dropped it like two feet above the ground. And then I started to pull it up and down. And it was doing this. You know? Oh, they started to scream and to run back. Pastor, Satan is in the tree. Pray for us. I got ideas. They were uh, in the in the nature camping with the pastor, the whole youth group, and we were there uh, from Friday through Sunday. And he talked about prayer, and I got an idea. Somebody told me that if you close the muffler of the car, the engine would not run for too long. So we ate corn. And after we finished eating corn, I took the cob from the corn and I got it in the pastor's muffler, in the car muffler. And Sunday night, let's go home. And we got in the cars and then the pastor started the car and he drove uh, 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 and the car died. And he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and he tried, and the car would not start. And they all came around and got the hood up and they looked around and they, nothing worked. And I came there, I said, have you prayed about it? And they said, no, we didn't think about it. I said, you better do. They got around the car, they prayed. Meanwhile, I went and I pulled the corn cob out. And I said, now after you pray, try again. They tried and the car stopped. And they said, miracle. And one of the young people didn't close his eyes during the prayer. And he told the pastor that he saw me pulling the corn cob. Oh, the pastor got so angry. You will never change. You will never. You did it in the church. You did it there. You do it all the time. I did it every day. My mom would get a phone call or two or ten. My mom got gray hair right away because of me. And everybody said that I am crazy. And it's wonderful to be crazy. Because if they think that you are, cra- you are crazy, you can get away with stuff. He is crazy. You know? so, and so, basically... I had too many ideas and everybody would call my mom and say, he will never change. He will never change. He is crazy. Have you ever heard that? You will never change. You can try really hard. You will never change. How do you change? How do you experience real growth? Visible Real growth. I remember our church was kind of, in the beginning we had a pastor, he was old, and uh, uh, there was a group of young people at the church that were, eh, so and so, and a group of good kids. Anyway, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but my friend and I started to pray. And then the piano player, the girl, she joined us in prayer. And then eventually more and more young people. And then we got a group of young people praying together. And a family came to me and said, I know you pray together and you study together. Our daughter has left the church. Would you pray for her? Now it happens that I knew that family since I was a child. And our parents grew up together and our grandparents grew up together. So I said, sure, I will pray for her. I started to pray for her, but they warned me, do not call her 
and invite her to the church because she will hang up and she will never talk to you again. So I started to pray for her. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for wisdom what to do. And God inspired me to dig up a little and I learned that she loves mountains. And I called her. I said, hey, good morning. Good morning. She says, who is there? I said, I am your most, I am your most vicious enemy. She said, what? If I would tell her I am your friend from the church, she would have hung up, you know. I said, I am your enemy. Who are you? I just told you, your enemy. What do you want to make your life miserable? She was in shock. She says, you cannot do that. I said, oh, yes. Over the telephone, I can make it in a second. How do you do that? Do you like mountains? Yes. Well, I can beat you in mountains. Mm-mm, you cannot beat me. I already did. She said, how do you know? How many mountains have you been into? Oh, it's like most in Romania. I said, I've been on all of them. Every path, every cabin. You cannot say one that I've not been on. That's impossible. I said, try. She would tell me one. I have pictures and I can tell you stories and I can describe it. She would tell me another one. I said, I can beat you. And then I said, what is the most courageous thing you have done in the mountains? This. I said, that's nothing. What have you done? I said, you remember the cross at the Karaiman? Yes. How did you go there? Yes. How did you go? On the path. Well, I went on the vertical wall. She was like, what? Yep. 2,000 meters. Without a rope. Without any rope. Without any... She says, it's impossible. You are crazy. I said, we agree with that. Everybody knows that I am crazy. No argument. She says, you have not done it. Yes, I told you that I can make your life miserable today. I can beat you in mountains. And then I said, in fact, this is what I have done there. We are in mountains and I had ski shoes, boots... And they didn't have holes and shoes. They had hooks and shoelaces. And I fell off the mountain from that vertical wall. And you see the cars so small at the bottom. I would have died. But my hook from my boot got caught in the hook from my friend's boot. And I was hanging with my head down like a pendulum in a shoe hook. And I have witnesses, 23 young people and the pastor. And she says, you are crazy. You do beat me in the mountains. I told you. And I said, I'm going to challenge you to go with me in the mountains. We go a whole group and we go in the most difficult places. She says, no, I'm not coming. You get together and you sing Kumbaya and you pray and I don't need any of that baloney. I said, yes, we do. We get together and we pray and we sing. But this is the deal. You go into your tent And yeah, 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 but you are going to invite me to join your prayer group. I said, no, never in the world. I'm going to beg you to stay away from us. If you ask them to come, they say no. But if you tell them to stay away, they, oh, please, can I come? So he said, okay. I'm going to beg you to stay away. Why? Because you are bad news. You drink, you smoke, you are into men, you do all the crazy stuff. I don't want you that are unclean to get close to our clean people. You are going to teach our young people all stupid, evil stuff. Please stay away. She says, you sure you don't invite me to your prayer groups? Absolutely, I promise. In fact, if you come, I'm going to chase you away. She says, okay, I'm coming. She came to the mountains. I didn't invite her. I just moved the fire pit in front of her tent and we started to sing Kumbaya. (laughs) And she came out and she says, you told me that you... I said, get inside and leave us alone. 
but you are singing at, at my tent and I can't hear you. Well, what do you want me to do? Stop singing? I never promise you that I will stop singing. I just promise you that I don't invite you. Get back inside and leave us alone to pray. She went inside. She came back out. I put two pillows on my head and I can still hear you preaching. I hate you and your church. I said, I don't like you either. Go back inside. She moved the tent. I went and helped her to install the tent far away. And then we moved the fire pit again in front of her tent. And we kept singing. And eventually, and we I told them stories about Mary, about Rahab, the woman at the well. You, you follow me? Eventually she came out and she says, This is all a lie. I have tried. I prayed and I tried really hard and I never changed. It's all a lie. Nobody changes. People just are fake. I know how parents are at home. In the church they are saints. In home they fight. Nobody changes. It's all a lie. Change and growth, it's impossible. I said, you are right, I agree with you. Then why do you teach them that it's possible? I didn't. You don't listen. You are deaf. She says, yes, you said. I said, I said that we cannot do it. And you said that we cannot do it. We agree. I said that God does it. Oh, that's a theory, but how do you do it? I said, you don't. God does it. But, but what do you do? Nothing. You just get to know God. That's impossible. I said, well, sit down. Let me explain it to you. And we talked. When he got back home, she got baptized. She's a dentist. And she's a faithful Christian. Is it possible? How do you do it? How do you do it? How do you do it? Is it right and fair? Think about it. Is it right and fair that the woman at the well, a prostitute, who slept with all the men from the village, and Abraham, who was a righteous man, and sacrificed all his life and all his uh, riches for God, and he left everything, he sacrificed even his son, they both will be saved? I mean, this lady, she's dirty, and this man, he's righteous. They both go to heaven. Is that fair? Is it fair that the thief on the cross did nothing good? And he was a rapist and he was a killer and he goes to heaven. And Isaiah, a prophet who was killed because he was a prophet, they both go to heaven. Is it fair? Is it fair that I run for the Lord and sacrifice my life and you do nothing and we both go to heaven? I don't like you anymore. Is it fair? Do you understand what I am trying to say? Is it fair that this guy worked the whole day and the other guy came in the 11th hour and they got the same salary? Is that fair? Salvation is not based on fairness or how much you work. Salvation is when Jesus lives in you, regardless who you are. You are not saved because of what you do, but because of who lives in you. Do you hear me? How do you get righteousness? In fact, if I go to a grammar, Greek grammar lesson with you, righteousness can be translated in deeds or relationships in the Bible. And every time it says that you should be righteous, the word used refers to relationship, never to deeds. So nobody could brag with it. Salvation, righteousness, righteousness, righteousness refers to relationship, not to deeds. Did you hear what I said? I can prove it to you. I can prove it to the Greek grammar that you cannot even argue. 
I can put the word on the screen and close your mouth and that's it. Doesn't even refer to the deeds. It refers to a perfect, not life, but a perfect relationship. Eternal life is to know God, is not to do. And so, how do you acquire, how do you acquire righteousness? How do you acquire righteousness? I want you to, uh, just for a second, aha, uh-huh, now I know what happened. I was trying to put here some, now it should work. Okay, I want you to, for a second, think about this. Uh, the Bible says in the Old Testament, and Jesus repeated in the New Testament, I want mercy, not Sacrifice. But the word sacrifice there doesn't, the word, the translation doesn't refer to sacrificing lambs, but it, the word for rituals, all their rituals, all their sacrifices, all their church program. You follow me? And that's what Isaiah says. I hate your assemblies. I turn my head when you pray. God doesn't need your sacrifices, your church, your rituals. He wants love. You follow me? I'm, I'm going to go a little to give you an example of how to acquire righteousness. Abraham did what? Believed. What is belief? Belief is not, I said in the morning, to believe somebody's word. I said in the morning, if I tell my wife, I'm in my room with two girls, if she believed me, we would be in trouble. She doesn't believe me. She says, you are, you are a joker. If somebody tells my wife, I saw him with a girl on the street, my wife says, I know him. If you told me that he lost his temper, I would believe you. If you told me that he came late for the meeting, I would believe you. But when you tell me that he was with a girl, you can do whatever you want. I will never believe you. I know this guy. You follow me? My, my wife would not believe me if I say I'm with a girl. Now, if I give, uh, Dana, I tell you, she doesn't believe is not to take somebody's word. She says, I don't take your word because I know you. The word faith is translated from Greek through two words. Two words. One is trust and one is relationship. And to have faith means to trust somebody so much that whatever happens... It cannot shake you. And how do you trust somebody? You trust somebody when you know them. And when you know them well, you know they are trustworthy or they are not trustworthy. That's how you trust somebody. When you have a good, continual, profound relationship with them. And so Abraham trusted God. I want you to think about Hebrew chapter 3. It says Israel perished in the wilderness because of unbelief. What was unbelief? That they didn't do good deeds, that there were giants in Jericho, that there were walls at Jericho, that they were sinners. Was that the cause that they lost the promised land? That they were not perfect yet? Was that the cause? What was the cause? Ellen White says, they didn't trust their God that he is able to save them. What was the problem? They didn't Trust. When you pray, 
Do you trust, when you say, Lord, forgive me, do you trust that in that moment you are forgiven? To the point that in great controversy, in chapter 43 or 44, she says, when we pray for forgiveness, we should not only trust, but rejoice that we are forgiven. Not only that you say, Lord, forgive me, but then you get up and you start jumping, dancing a holy dance, screaming, whistling, and saying, I am forgiven. And somebody you say, how do you know? You say, I know Jesus and I trust him. You follow me? I know him. I know that he loved me. And I know that he said, if you confess, you are forgiven. I confess, I am forgiven. But how do you know? I don't need to know. I don't need to see. I don't need to hear. I don't need to feel. I don't need to deserve. I trust him. I know him enough to know that he forgave me. You follow me? Hebrew chapter 3 says, they perished because of their unbelief. And the Lenoi says, they perished because they didn't trust their God. People trust what they do, and they don't trust what God does. Isn't that strange? We doubt our God. And we say we trust him, but then we don't feel secure. Abraham trusted that God is able to deliver what he promised. That God keeps his word. That God, Abraham knew God. How do you trust somebody? You spend enough time to know them to the point that you, regardless what happens, you know that they will do it. And whatever you go through, you have peace because you know them. You follow me? It says in the Bible in Isaiah, you keep him in perfect peace. Him whose eyes or mind, in a different translation, are fixed on you. How do you trust somebody and have perfect peace? You keep your eyes on him, and you get to know him, and you know that even if you go through fire, you are not alone. You follow me? And so, going back, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Question, was he righteous? No, 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 no. This is in the day when God called him to leave his country. This is before he lied that his wife is his sister. This is before he slept with his servant to help God give him a baby because God is unable. God needs our help. You follow me? Abraham was far from being righteous. Later, instead of trusting that God would keep his promise and give him a child, he slept with Agar. It was not righteous. But he trusted that God somehow will do it. And because he trusted his God, God considered him. He was not righteous. He was just considered righteous. And that's called justification. Justification, it's an event. It's a second. It's a minute. When you trust God, you are still a stinker. But God considers you righteous. And God says, your nature is sinful. You are sinful. But because you trust in me, I'm going to forgive you and take your sinfulness, put it on Jesus, and take Jesus' divine perfect righteousness and put it on you, and I consider you perfect, though you are not perfect. And that's when you believe in God. In that moment, God says you are perfect. And Paul writes to the saints from Corinth and he calls them saints. And then he tells the problems they have. They had a bunch of problems. Yet he says to the saints. Because by faith they are considered righteous. 
by belief, God can start working in you. Things that you don't even understand. The righteous shall live by faith. It is by grace, through faith, none of what you do. It is the gift of God. Which one is the gift? Is the grace. It says three things. By grace, you have been saved through faith. How many things? Grace, salvation, and faith. Which one is the gift of God? Of the three. All three. In Greek, it says they are God's gift. Faith. It says that God has given everyone a measure of faith. It's not the size, it's the quality that counts and the exercise of it that counts. It's not, I need a lot of faith. No, as a master seed, faith can move mountains if it's quality faith. You follow me? And so, it is by faith alone. It's by grace alone. By the way, people tell me, Pastor, I wish I had faith, but I struggle and I I really, really want to have faith. And I tell them, it's the gift of God. In fact, He gives you the faith. He gives you the desire. He gives you the fulfillment. He gives you the, the opportunity. He gives you everything. All you have to do, you need to continually surrender and trust. Continually. And you grow as you do this every day and God patiently works with you and you don't have patience with you. God has patience with you. And I tell them again and again and they say, but what if I don't have faith? And I tell them, God gave everyone a measure of faith. Well, let me ask you, how much faith do you need? That's a literal master seed on the tip of my finger. That's literally a master seed. Do you see it? And that's literally a master tree. And the Bible says that if you have faith like a master seed, it's gonna say to you are gonna say to the mountain, move, and the mountain moves. Do you believe that? Then when you pray for somebody sick, why don't you believe that they are healed? And you say, well, you know, God may heal you and God may decide not to heal you. And you say that to protect yourself. What if he doesn't heal? Why do you say that? And then you say, maybe we didn't have enough faith. If we would have had strong faith, he would have been healed. He died because we didn't have faith. We confuse faith with works. The person doesn't get healed because you had faith or you didn't have faith. The person doesn't get healed because God says what he said to Paul. My grace is sufficient. What he said to Moses. Stop insisting. You will die. You don't go in the country. God said to John the Baptist. You will be beheaded in prison. God said to Paul. You will be beheaded. He said to Peter. You will be crucified. So many people that died is not because they didn't have faith, but because God has a plan that we don't understand. Your faith doesn't have power in itself to save you. Faith is not a goal, an abracadabra formula, and if you have it, God has no choice but to save you or to do whatever you ask because you have faith. Your faith, it's a profound relationship where you know God and trust in Him 
not because what he does, but because who he is. You don't trust in him, have faith. So he will do what you ask. You trust in him, so you trust when he does what he wants. Did you hear what I said? Faith is not that you strongly believe so God will do whatever you ask because you had faith. Faith is that you strongly believe so God does whatever he wants when you don't understand. I don't know if it makes any sense. Okay, and so what is the Greek grammar there? It says if you have faith like a master seed, you said to the, mount, to the mountain, move, the mountain moves. And then it says, and it becomes a big tree. What does Jesus want to say? That if you exercise that little faith that God gave you, the master seed, like the man who says, I believe, help my unbelief. If you exercise it today and tomorrow, it's going to grow. And then Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Kings that as we exercise faith in small daily things, we grow to do it in big things. Do you understand? Okay, let's move from faith because we are saved by grace through faith. Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. What if some people don't believe? Does it change God? No. The Bible says that righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to how many? All who believe. Now, how many have sinned? How many have sinned? Except me, everybody else. And how many are justified freely? How many? You have no excuse. Everybody, everybody can be justified by faith. Everybody, everybody. Now listen, how do you do that practically? How do you do that practically? Righteousness is in Jesus. Righteousness is in Jesus. Is not in what you do, is not in how much you believe, it is who you know. It's a matter of relationship. I want to explain a little how that works. God took Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old. And God told Abraham, you'll have so many children like the stars. Can you count the stars on the sky? Now, how many of you are 75? If God told you that you'll have millions of children, would you believe? Do you understand the picture? I mean, when Abraham was in college and he was dating Sarah and your boyfriend and girlfriend, and then they finished college and then they got a house and then they got a job and then they got married and they, and, and they were uh, 22 years old. If, if I told them that they will have three children, they believe. But if they are 75 and... You follow me? And I tell them that they will have a million children. You must be crazy to believe. Faith is not what makes sense. Faith is to trust God so much that you don't try to make sense. People try to understand in order to act or in order to believe. You will never be able to understand God. When God talks to you, it is always Crazy and it's impossible. If God talks to you and it's normal, that's your brain. It's not God. God never in the Bible told anybody something normal. Always when he talks, it's crazy. I mean, God told Joseph, I'm going to put you over your brothers and put him in prison, a slave. Is that normal or crazy? It's in the, in the opposite direction. If God told you, I'm going to make you a prime minister and he make, makes you a slave, that doesn't make sense. It's crazy. If God 
told Moses, you are going to deliver my people and send him in the wilderness. That doesn't make sense. It's crazy. God told Joshua, take Jericho. This is how you do it. You walk around the walls. That's crazy. God told Jehoshaphat, go and confront these six kingdoms, six armies, and this is how you do it. You put the choir in front of the army. Do you want to sing in the choir? It's crazy. God told the prophet, throw them, throw the, the, the handle of the axe, the wood on the water, and the iron is gonna float. That's crazy. Do you understand what I am trying to say? Don't try. God told Abraham, you'll have a child. That's crazy. Don't try to understand God in order to believe and to obey. Because God's brain is bigger than yours. And you'll never be able to understand, so you'll never obey. When God talks, you need to have such a relationship with him that without understanding, regardless how crazy, you just do it. Because you know him. Faith is not logic. Faith is not human understanding. Faith is not human merits. Faith is not human plans. Faith is relationship to the point that you trust something crazy. God told Abraham, sacrifice your child. Isn't that crazy? I want to say, not that God is crazy, but that God's wisdom doesn't make sense for our wisdom. God's wisdom is foolishness, and our wisdom is foolishness. Because we don't understand each other, because God's plans are far from our understanding. I'm trying to say, don't depend on your planning, wisdom, understanding, but depend on a profound relationship with your God. That's what I am trying to say. If you don't have a profound, real relationship with your God, you will never obey. You need to know him so much that when he says something, you don't even need to understand. You don't even try to understand. When he says something, build an ark. You don't say, Lord, but this is crazy. Lord, but you don't have the money. Our church is small. We need to have a board meeting to plan. You don't. When God says something, you rejoice and do it. Not because you understand, but because you know him. Do you follow me? Faith is based on such a strong relationship. That you trust him regardless. You don't even need to understand. And so, when was righteousness credited to Abraham? Before he sacrificed his son, before he left his country, before he did anything good. Righteousness is not related to what you do. Righteousness was given to the thief on the cross without him doing anything. Before Abraham did something, he was considered righteous. Righteousness doesn't depend on what you do, but it depends on how connected you are. Do you follow me? I always tell people the stupid parable. Let's suppose somebody drunk got in the ark. When Noah opened the door and said, please, please come in. Did he call the Adventist or he called everybody? Did he call the righteous or he called everybody? So if a drunk got in the ark and the door closed, would the drunk be saved? Why? You are not saved by what you do. You are saved by who lives in you. And therefore, we need to understand Christ in you, the hope of glory. He who has Christ has life. 
Therefore, we need to stop trying to do in order to feel good, in order to be saved. We need to start trying to know our God. God is calling you to know Him. Because the more you know Him, the more you trust Him. The more you trust Him, the more you let Him work, though it doesn't make sense. The more you let Him work, the more He can transform you when you don't even know that He is working on you. You follow me? And the more you know Him, the more you love Him, and the more you love Him, the more you want Him, and the more you want Him, the closer you get to Him. God is calling you not to try to be saved, but to try to have a relationship. That's how you acquire righteousness. Therefore, prayer and study of the Word and reflection to God's character are essential. It's good to go to church. It's good to eat healthy. It's good to know the doctrines. But if you do all the good stuff and don't know your God, you lose your time. Relationship is the essence of salvation. To know God is life eternal. People in the Bible, all people of faith, had a close relationship with God. They talked to God. They walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Abraham walked with God. Daniel, all of them, God and them talked. You need to get closer and closer and closer and closer to your God to the point that you know Him and He knows you. And you can talk to Him and He walks with me and He talks. That you can walk with Him, you can hear His voice and you can trust in Him regardless what happens in your life. Circumstances and crises should not influence your peace. Not because you don't go through trials. Because you know your God. Job, what he went through, and he trusted his God. Daniel, a slave in Babylon. He could have said, why did God allow me to get a slave? He trusted his God. He says, I don't understand what is going on in my life. My house was burned. My family was killed. I am a slave. I don't understand. But I know my God. Paul, ready to be beheaded. I know in whom I have believed. And I know I will see him. He is able to deliver. To know your God to the point that whatever you go through, you have peace. A peace that people cannot explain. A close, continual, profound connection with your God. That doesn't happen overnight. When my wife and I got married, she is mute. She doesn't have a volume button. You cannot turn her loud. She's just quiet. I talk for ten people, she talks zero. And I would see her sad. And I would say, what's wrong? Sorry. And she was, what's wrong? And she was, do you have stomach pain? Do you have headaches? Are you hungry? She would not even talk. It would take me two hours to learn what is wrong with her. Now, after 35 years of marriage, I don't need to ask anything. I see her, I know exactly, I go and do it, and she is happy. Relationship doesn't happen overnight. Do you understand what I am trying to say? Relationship, for instance, we purchased new furniture. Nice, expensive, I am too poor to afford cheap stuff. I buy only quality. And so we purchased quality furniture. Now, we learned that kids should be educated 
and behaved. And so we invited the church members to come Friday night over so we can start the Sabbath together. And it was raining, raining, pouring. And it was mud. And we had a new couch that we bought Thursday. And it was Friday. And the kids came with their shoes full of mud and they jumped on my one-day new couch. And they started to jump with mud. When I get angry, my ears turn red. My wife saw my ears and said, come in the kitchen and help me. I went in the kitchen. She says, I want you to calm down. I'm not angry. She says, you are. You are exploding. You are just one minute away from explosion. I want you to calm down. Don't you see? Their parents don't care about my couch. Their parents don't educate their kids. They need to be behaved. And she says, do you love them or you love your couch? Well, I love them, but they should not ruin my couch. Do you want the couch in heaven or these kids in heaven? Well, what a question. Should I want them in heaven? Then you need to give up your couch and pray for them. Well, I should pray that they behave. She says, drop it. Go in the other room and pray until God will change your heart and then come back. I didn't like my wife anymore. But I knew she was right. I went in the other room. I said, Lord, please come into my heart. I need to repent. And I prayed until I calmed down. I still had some stomach pain because of the kids and the couch. I got back in the room. I smiled. I said nothing. Next week, one of the ladies that is divorced, her husband left her for a different woman, came back to me and said, I am alone. I don't do the best job to to, to train my kid because sometimes because he doesn't have a dad, I kind of, I am too uh, tolerant. And I knew that I should have controlled him to jump on your couch. But I just, I am afraid to discipline him because when he goes to his dad, his dad gives him gifts. And I want him to love me more. And so I didn't discipline him. But you are a godly man. You loved my kids more than you love your new furniture because you said nothing to my kids. In my mind, (laughs) you should have talked to my wife. And she says, you are the real pastor. You represent Jesus for us. I love you and I trust you because you loved my kid more than you loved your furniture. And I said to to my wife, honey, thank you. But my wife saw my red ears and she called me one second before explosion. She said, come here, I need you now. Relationship gets to the point that you know each other, you know how you think, you know how you function, you know what you need, and you help each other. You need to get to that type of relationship with God that you can sense Him, know Him, smell, know exactly what He does next, because He does nothing without discovering to His servants. You follow me? We need to have this type of relationship, the way me and my wife know each other, or our relationship with God has to be much profound. Much better than that. Do you follow? If we have a church, if we have a religion, but we don't have a relationship, we lose our time. Therefore, today, God is calling you to start knowing Him. That's how you acquire righteousness. For instance, Abraham, God told him, when he was 75, you will have so many children, Like the stars. Abraham, if you were Abraham, you could have said, Lord, come on. Are you kidding me? I mean, I am 75. My wife is way past 
that age. It's impossible. Now think about it. Abraham and Sarah did try to have babies. And it didn't work. And they did try hard. And they started to eat fruits and vegetables and a vegan diet. So they may be healthy and have babies. Guess what? That's what we do. We eat healthy to be saved. We do church to be saved. I'm going to draw this parallel. They did health to be saved, to have babies. Nothing worked. And then they went to the doctor in Cincinnati because it's a clinic that is the best in the country that you can have babies. They went to Cincinnati clinic. Guess what happened? Because we go to that pastor at camp meeting or that and hopefully that we become holy. Nothing works. And then they had faith as faith would be to manipulate God. No, nothing worked until they gave up and they said it's impossible to to be righteous, to have babies. And then they gave up and became fake Christians going to church, smiling, happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath, how are you doing? Good, how are you doing? Good. But they inside were consumed because they tried hard to acquire righteousness, to have babies, and they could not. And eventually they gave up and they said, it's impossible. As my friend that told me in the mountains, it's impossible. As my pastor that called my dad and my mom, he will never change. It's impossible. And they, they gave up to have babies because it's impossible. And God didn't give them babies when they were 22. He gave them babies when they were 100. Why? Because God will never do it when you think that you can do it. And God would wait until you know that you cannot do it. So you know that it was him and you have no merits whatsoever. It's a gift. Do you follow me? There is nothing that you can do to help God to save you. Do you understand? And so, Abraham and Sarah, think about it, was fully convinced that whatever God promised, he's able to do it. Fully convinced that when God says, you'll have a baby, I don't care. I'm 100 years old. I will have a baby. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. Abraham is 75 when God talks to him. He leaves his country and, and babies didn't happen because answer to prayer, it's a process. It's not an event. It takes time. When you pray, God is going to work, but in time. And you need to learn to wait upon the Lord. Abraham left his country. 11 years later, still didn't have babies. So what he did? He slept with Agar. That's what we do. We try to help God. That's a no. That's, you should never try to help God acquire righteousness. That's what people do. The Bible says, because... They didn't know God's righteousness. They tried to acquire their own righteousness. People don't understand God's righteousness, so they try to do it in their own. You should never do that. That's paganism. Hello? What did I say? We try to replace God with paganism or Catholicism. Now, we should love pagans and we should love Catholics. But we try to replace God with one of the two extremes. What is paganism? When you replace God with things... You worship idols. You worship your job. You worship your children. You worship uh, uh, the TV or the game. Or You replace God with other things. And Catholicism, when you replace God with works, what you do for him, rituals, that's Catholicism. When you replace God with what you do for him, neither of them would save you. You need 
to be saved, to put God in your heart. Period. It's not other things and it's not what you do for him. It's his presence in you. So 11 years later, he did it for God. He slept with Agar. Did that solve the kid's problem? No. And then, think about it. 24 years later, after he prayed and after he was promised, 24 years later, God comes to him. By now, he is 99 and Sarah is 89. I want you to imagine, like... And God says, next year you'll have a baby. Would you believe it? It's crazy. When God says something, it's absolutely impossible. You should not measure it by logics. And so he's at the gas station. And he's putting gas in his uh, Chevy. Uh, His hand is shaking and gas is all over, you know. And his neighbor, John, says, good morning, Abraham. Uh, Good morning, John. Hey, man, I heard you you changed your name. Uh Uh-huh, not Abraham, it's... Abraham. You know what it means? Uh-huh. Father of many n- n- nations. How old are you? About 100. Man, you are crazy. You follow me? It's against any human possibility, against any hope, against any power, what God does for you. And because we don't understand, we have a tendency to doubt. You should never look to the problems in order to trust. You should never look to you in order to trust. You need to know your God and to trust Him, not what you can do. And so, think about it. He's, he's 100, I mean 99, she's 89, and they don't even believe. She laughs, she says, ha, 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 I am 90. God doesn't even work because of your faith. She had no faith, she laughed. God works because of him. God works because of his namesake, because of his faithfulness, because of his covenant, because of his love. God works because of him. Isn't that absolutely amazing? If you will take time to know our God, Elena says, if we will just contemplate, reflect on his character, she says, we would never doubt him again. Therefore, your real problem is not the problem that you think that you have. Your real problem that Satan doesn't want you to see is that we don't know our God. Our real need is not the health or the job or the house issue. Our real need is to know Jesus, our Savior. That takes care of all the other problems. And so, think about it. Abraham believed God against any hope. Trust in God against any hope. Abraham put his trust against absolutely any hope. He put his eyes on God and he said, I cannot do it. I don't deserve it. I don't understand it. But I know you. And I know that you can do the impossible. So I'm going to trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. To put your full trust in God. You cannot do that unless you have a full relationship with him. You understand what I am trying to say? Peter on water. Hey, Peter walked on water. You must be a superman to walk on water. Because he kept his eyes on his God. As soon as he took his eyes off, he went down. Faith is not who you are. It's who you keep your eyes on. That's salvation. That's Righteousness, that's how you grow 
That's how you are saved. That's how you overcome. I'm going to move on. We already talked about these things. We already talked about these things too. Let's move on. You cannot change. Only God in you. Think about this. Money cannot buy it, righteousness. Intellect cannot procure it. Wisdom cannot attain it. You can never hope by own efforts to secure it. But God offers to you as a gift. Isn't that an amen? Oh, you should scream hallelujah. This is so good that it's almost impossible. It's so good that I have hard time to believe. It's so good, it's like my neighbor gives me $10 million gift in exchange for my dirty broken glove that I told you last night that I have that I clean my stove with. It is so good that if we really understand this, we should be the happiest of all people. Why are we beaten with a baseball bat in the head and we are all sad? When God gives you his own son, when God gives you eternity for free, shouldn't we be happy? The reason we are not happy, the reason we don't enjoy forgiveness, the reason we don't believe that we are saved is because we don't know Jesus. Elena says that if God opened our eyes for one second to see him, we would never doubt him. We would be ashamed of ourselves. Why did the prophet Elijah, it was Elijah or Elisha, Elisha, saw the Syrian army and the angel's army and his servant didn't see the angel's army? Because people that have a continual connection with God, they sense God, they hear God, they talk to God. And that comes in time based on profound relationship. Therefore, you need to start somewhere. And God is calling you to start today. Don't start with big things. Start with 15 minutes of prayer and Bible study. But then increase it. And then increase it again. And then increase it again. And don't worry about how it will happen. None of your business. You just seek God's presence. You just seek to know Him. You just say, Lord, Make me thirsty for you. Make me hungry for you. I want you. I'm not going to ask for healing. I need healing, but I'm not, I'm not going to ask for a job. I need a job. I, uh, please, if you want to give me the job. But what I'm going to ask, it's one thing and only one. I desire one thing from the Lord. I want to live in your presence forever. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want you to discover yourself to me. Please, you can take my life. You can take my job. You can take my house. You can take my bank account. I don't care. You can take my junk car. You take it all. But help me to know you. When you really want to know him, he is going to start making himself known to you. Make it the reason for your life. Make it the goal of your life. I want to know Jesus. And God promised. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let myself be found. And God will keep his word. Don't expect that you'll see him right away because you'll be consumed. He's going to put you in a cave and cover you and he's going to let you see a drop. But then he's going to let you next time see more. And then he's going to let you see even more. And the closer you get to him, the more you'll know him. But you need to start somewhere. You don't start with calculus. You start with one plus one. But you keep growing. You follow me? Okay, we need to finish. 
Oh, oh, we are late and I'm hungry. Should we stop right here? <laughs> we are halfway through the sermon. We need to stop. You agree with me? I mean, you, you can preach for so long, but then you got to eat, you know? Listen, folks. We'll stop here. If I preach too long, you never call me back. And that's not bad, you know, that's okay. But, and then you cannot focus. And then you blame me that the sermon was long. We can stop here. We eat, and then we come back and finish. Is that okay? If you have to leave, we don't understand, but we forgive you. If you have to leave, you must listen to the recording. Okay? Let's, uh, let's have a closing prayer. Father in heaven, oh, what a privilege that the God of the universe, the Holy One, the Creator, would want to have a relationship with me and you. How could we even wrap our mind around it? Nevertheless, you want us to know you and you want to move in our hearts and to dwell in us and us to dwell in you. Lord, thank you. Help us understand. Help us desire it. Help us go crazy of happiness. And help us know you. We pray in Jesus' precious name and only in his merits we pray. And believe in you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.